the police had found a girl wandering on, on the M4 motorway um, at the Severn suspension bridge that goes between England and Wales. But she was in such a state emotionally when, when they picked her up that she couldn't talk. Um, they asked her all the obvious questions like who she was, why she was there, where she came from, where she was hoping to go. Um, and she told them nothing. They took her back to police station, I believe, in, in the Bristol area. And um, she still wouldn't speak to them. Uh, they didn't know if perhaps she was deaf or unable to speak or, or unwilling. Um, and out of desperation, after uh, they'd had, had her there for some time, they decided to broadcast an appeal to the general public on, uh, on the local radio in case anyone might know who she was, how she got there, um, and could help. I happened to overhear uh, the broadcast and was very... I was shaken by it, really, because it... You know, my heart went out to her. I thought, well, would she have jumped? You know, was it her intention to jump? How could she get like that? And where'd she come from? It was a mystery. It was a, a, a massive mystery. 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 Let's go back to 1994, the year that saw the proper birth of Britpop with Blur's Park Life, the release of the first Oasis album, Dogman Star by Suede, Grunge was still rumbling along, Nirvana released their MTV Unplugged album, Pearl Jam's Vitalogy came out, Jeff Buckley released Grace, Sabotage by the Beastie Boys was released. So what were you doing in 1994, can you remember? Yeah, my last year of high school. God, so young. (laughs) Not sure about that. Well, I was working for Channel 4 Teletext at the time as a graphic designer and a video games journalist. As you know, I'm not saying that for your benefit. Uh, But I'd got a reputation in the office of being the Marillion guy. Aww. And... I knew there'd been a new Meridian album on the horizon for a while. This was 1994, as Mm. we've established. So it had been three years since their previous album. How long after Holidays in Eden was it announced that the band were working on a new album? I don't remember, in all honesty. And did you know what kind of album they were working on? Or was it just all, we're working on a new album mystery? Didn't have a clue. I didn't know what they were working on. Uh, I mean, I figured... I'll be honest, I'd read an read a interview with Mark Kelly at some point, or with the band, but in that, Mark Kelly was asked off the back of how poppy um, Holidays in Eden was. He'd been asked by the interviewer whether they'd go and do another concept album. Mm. And Mark Kelly had replied, slightly defensively, that... Uh, I don't see why not. I mean, bear in mind, we've got like a three song, very proggy suite at the end of Holidays in Eden. So we're not averse to it. And I got my hopes up that they might go back to prog, proper prog, you know, and concept albums and all of that one day. But I didn't, in all honesty, given that the way the band had progressed since Fish had left with Season's End into Holidays in Eden, it was, you know, despite what Mark Kelly said, 
it was inevitable that perhaps I, I, I was sort of thinking, well, that's the direction it's going to continue in. They're going to become, you know, Mike and the Mechanics or something like that. So when um, when I knew the new album was was imminent, the guy who who ran the music pages on Teletext, um, he'd been teasing me about it for days. I think he'd 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 told me that it was due to come in from EMI at some point this album, and I think I can't remember what day of the week it was, but I turned up at work that morning, and there was a, a note on my desk with a cryptic clue, which I followed to another part of the building to find another what? cryptic clue. Oh, get out of here. Which led me to another part of the building. How uh, did I not know this story? How, how did you not? No. He basically sent me on a, a scavenger hunt. Wow. <laughs> he put post oh, You would have notes. loved that. Kind of, but I was also just like, just give me the bloody album. Oh, so you knew what it was about? Uh, yeah, because the, the, fir- the, the first clue was... What kind of things was, did the clue say? It was, uh, the one I remember about was something about, oh, no, swims with the fishes or something like that. Okay. So it was like, okay, this has got to be about the Marillion album. Um, yeah, it was stuck on my monitor. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it eventually led me to uh, the room that we use for sort of playing video games to, to review on there. Um, and there it was waiting on the desk and I just basically locked myself in there for the next 73 minutes wow and then I think I went upstairs and thanked the music guy and then went back down and listened to it again (laughs) Again. the thing that struck me first first of all was A how different it was to Holidays in Eden and B how long it was this was essentially at 73 minutes it was their longest album by probably you know, at least sort of twenty five minutes, something like that. Um, I don't think, well, they, yeah, the previous out longest albums were sort of, you know, fifty minutes, something like that. And if you remember, Misplaced Charter was about forty two minutes. Yeah. So this was like a whole half hour longer. Wow. Um, the Misplaced Charter, and I was quite clear that it was a. It, this was a concept album. This was Marillion going. Yeah, we're a prog band again, and. I can't say it clicked with me straight away. We'll get into that a bit later. But what I can say is that there was a sense of relief from oh, me. Oh, really? I was relieved because this was the sort of music I wanted Marillion to make. Ah, interesting. So even though you weren't fully in love with it from the get-go... No. You still... It left a good feeling inside of you. It gave you some sort of satisfaction. Yeah, because anyone who's heard this album will know it's the album as a whole is stronger than some. What do you say? Yeah, What's that the frame? album as a whole is stronger than the sum of its parts. Yeah, you break this album down into individual tracks, and in fact, mm. there's a quote I've got from Mark Kelly who sort of says that the individual songs aren't. A strong when separated from the album. Yeah, it's it's the album as a whole that that has to kind of be viewed. Yeah, that is so true. Actually, I mean, I slightly disagree for some of the songs, but yeah, I, I guess, do. but I guess overall, yeah, that is true. Even the best songs on there, they're even better and even stronger when put into the whole of the album. Can I... Okay, this is like a really nerdy question. It's not nerdy, but 
it's a pointless question. When you first listened to it, how did you listen to it? Was it on uh, with headphones? Was it on cassette? On CD? Well, it was CD. This was only my second. Ninety four. Yeah, of course. Yeah, only my CD. second Meridian CD album. My holidays in Eden was the first Meridian album I bought on CD. Yeah. Um, I didn't buy this. I got it free from work. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I had to give it back, actually. Oh, re- no. Really? I don't think I did, because it ha- I remember it having the, the promo copy label on it for uh, for the whole time I had it on CD. I definitely bought it later. You bought it to, what, to support the band? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I bought it later because they put out the, the remaster. That oh, <laughs> had extra see. stuff on oh, it. Oh, okay. Um, sorry. <laughs> I want to see you saw you live. Uh, bought the bought the movie, um, but um, what was your question? How did you listen to it? I want to I want to picture the scene. I don't like, remember. I don't know if I had. I was in a little room, sat at so the table. So you didn't have headphones, or anything. I might have had headphones. Come on, this, we're talking nearly thirty years ago. Okay, <laughs> I don't remember. I remember the little room because I was in there often. I remember the desk I was sat at. I must have had headphones on because I, I remember feeling in a real sort of little bubble mm. with it. Uh, and that opening, it was so atmospheric and I hadn't perhaps expected that after uh, Holidays in Eden and Season's End, which were both so sort of song-based. Yes. And this yes. was an album that was about about building an atmosphere and it was very much... It was so different. It was so different to anything they'd done with H, but also very different to anything they'd done with Fish, even though it was still sort of in that that prog territory. It um it didn't sound like misplaced childhood. Absolutely not at all. Not in the slightest. This was It didn't sound like anything as a whole. As a whole, mm. it didn't sound like anything they'd done up to this point. No. And I think at the time, aside from the fact it's a really, really dense, dark, long album with a lot of music on it, aside from that, which, you know, if anyone, even if, I don't know, Boyzone put out a 73-minute album, that would still be a lot of new music to take in, even yeah. if they were all sort of five-minute or three-minute pop songs. Oh God, can you imagine 73 minutes of three-minute pop songs? Yeah, That's be hard going. horrible. Yeah. So that would be a lot to say, but here was an album that had, uh, clearly it was full of sound effects and music that was sort of almost buried under lay- other layers of music. Mm. And at first, and for a long time, I struggled to identify individual songs on it. Oh, really? Yeah. it was. I found it overwhelming. Oh, that's really interesting. Now I'm going back. I'm really remembering listening to it and going, where are the songs? You, so to you, you experienced it as one long song in a way. In a way, yeah. But the songs that were on there, they didn't. And I know this is weird. I know what you're probably thinking. You're probably going to make, yeah, but Paper Lies. No, I, I'm remembering I back and kind of going, this, this, these songs don't have necessarily much of an identity of their own. I was just about to say that. They don't seem to have an individuality. They're, and I disagree with myself at the same time because there are some that definitely stand out as individuals. Mm. But 
I completely agree with you because I had a similar experience. It's like with all the other albums up until now, there have been songs that have gotten stuck in my head and given me earworms. And this album, that did not happen until like this week, which is like, what, a month later. Mm. No song stood out and lodged itself in my brain. None Mm. of them. Because it was just like big one, big, long drama, like a story rather than like what you said before. It was rather that than an album of songs. Mm. I'd forgotten that I struggled with that. I mean, we're talking and, yeah, I might as well just lay it out there now. It took years for Brave to click with me. Really? Literally, literally years. There wow. Were, there were moments in it that I loved. Yeah. But as a whole, it took me a long time. And even now, because it's not an album you can really dip in and out of and kind of go, oh, I'm going to put my favourite tracks on a playlist. Mm. I mean, I have tried to do that over the years. But there are very few tracks on there that are strong, like we said, that are strong when they're they're taken out of context. Yeah. Because I know that you don't necessarily know the story behind the concept but even musically there's clearly a concept running through it there's there's a an identity and a an intention there artistically mm. the whole album is it, it's really drenched in sort of reverb and all these layers and it echoes and it doesn't sound even now like any other Marillion album. Even now they've not done an album that sounds like Brave. It sounds entirely different to anything else they've done, while also, I would say, at the same time, sounding very much like the Marillion they will come to be. You yeah. know, in terms of the type type of music and the sort of kind of big music that they do. Yeah, I I, I see what you mean. But yeah. production wise, certainly, it's so multi layered. And oh, so... there's so much to unpack musically. You just can't you can't listen to it once and kind of get it. No. You can't. It's it's got way too much stuffed into it. And I don't mean stuffed because no, that's completely the wrong word to use because I think when you said intentional, it's the the, the best word. I I called it um in my notes I wrote that it, the sounds it you can tell that the sounds have been curated. Yeah, you don't make an album like this by accident. Yeah, uh, everything in there has been placed where it is intentionally and yeah. with care. Even this morning, I was uh, I was listening to it again, and there's even little moments where it it sounds like a a, a fingers just banged against the guitar string. And it's not like as a tune, it's just there in there as a bit of texture. Yeah. And it's like, that's been put there. Yeah. And it blew yeah. my mind. It's I know. Like... I mean, I'm still listening to it and hearing stuff that I haven't, I haven't got the history with it that you do of decades, but um, you know, you've got a few weeks history with it, but I'm still hearing things that I haven't heard before. Well, you've been on a journey with this, haven't you? Because you've yeah. struggled with it. I struggled with some of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, and, I'm slightly holding back on what what, what my view on it is mm. because I don't want to quite get into that yet until perhaps we've gone through it track by track. But but I think it it's one thing that became really clear when people knew online that we were we were going to be doing brave. Mm. I was surprised by how many people 
who um, we're going to do a post bag on this, but are surprised by how many people who, for them, it felt like the final straw, Marillion Wise. I'm really surprised by that. At least well. until later on, and they kind yeah. of rediscovered the band. And I, I'm, and I think maybe I've given you the wrong impression because I didn't ever dislike it. Mm. I thought I was going to dislike it. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Even now, right? What are we? 20 is it 27 years since the album came out 20 oh, yeah 27 God. years something like that been out of school for 27 years yeah all right <laughs> oh, <laughs> make, make me feel old make me uh, feel yeah i was at work <laughs> I, I, i've been out of school for quite a while by 1994 thank you very much <laughs> seven years by that point um even now it's an album that I admire more than love. Does mm, that make yes. sense? Yes, you have worded that perfectly. I think that's how I feel. Mm. Although there are pieces on there that I absolutely love, like really, yeah, really same. love. But uh, as a whole, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah. I definitely admire it and I respect it, but I'm not sure... Whether I love it. You know, it's so weird because, I mean, as well, the more I've listened to it, the more challenging I'm finding the thought of talking about it. But I'm not, overall, I'm not feeling the same amount of challenge that I did when we had to talk about misplaced childhood. I found talking about misplaced childhood really difficult. Yeah, we both did, didn't we? Um, Like, really difficult. And I'm not feeling that level of intimidation with Brave, even though, you know, there's definitely intimidation there. Um, but I think it's because I don't have as much of a deep connection. I wasn't as deeply affected by it. Well, this is emotionally. the thing, yeah. Yeah, musically, definitely. Emotionally. Musically, definitely. It's like a work of art. Emotionally, because I think it, it tells essentially a work of fiction. Exactly. Even though... Whereas Misplaced Child was clearly... Well, it was meant to be a work of fiction, yeah. but it, it didn't feel like a work of... Misplaced Childhood did not feel like fiction. No, and neither did Clutching at Straws. No, no way. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Torch. However, there are autobiographical elements in there. Yeah, The story true. behind, for instance, Hollow Man might shock you. Oh, ho- and but, you know, coincidentally, Hollow Man is one of my absolute mm. most favourite Marillion songs ever. So, yeah. You know. And I think H always tries to embody whatever he's singing about. And I think you can only... It's the same with actors. Actors, the act, An actor's toolbox comes from personal experience. You know, so a, a good actor, when they're crying, they're not crying about what they're remembering. They're yeah. having an emotion based upon something that's happened to them. Yeah. That's what the best actors are able to do so that the, the emotions feel genuine. Hmm. Um, I know, but I do really appreciate what H puts into the album. And I I mean, I really, really, really appreciate the sounds. It made, why I asked you about how you listened to it before was, it made such a difference to me. The first time I listened to it, I was on my usual walk with my rubbish little headphones and there was all, you know, the sounds of the road and stuff. And when I got home and actually sat down with good headphones 
and listen to it properly. I had a completely different experience. Mm. Like, I was blown away. Well, as it said on the original album cover, listen to it loud with the lights off. Yeah, absolutely do that. If if anyone listening hasn't heard this album before, do what Paul just said. Listen to it loud through headphones with the lights off because it completely, it 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 just changed my whole yeah. view and experience of it. It's an album that deserves the attention of who's whoever's yeah, listening to it. it really does it, it is you know it deserves it because because of the work that's gone into it and i think that was why i felt intimidated approaching this yeah you know when we did last week's episode and you were like i'm not quite ready to talk about brave i was like oh thank god <laughs> if i'm honest yeah. you know, um because for a lot of people it it is a favorite album of theirs mm. But more importantly, it's a favourite album of, of H and the band. Yeah. And, and I can see why, on just a, a sensory level, mm. it's exceptional. Mm. If you're just talking about the sensory level, if I'm just listening to the sounds that they have put together, uh, and every time I listen to it, I, it has grown on me. I love it more and more for that rich luscious i don't know you probably want to talk about stephen wilson later but i listened to his version this morning yeah i should just explain in 2018 stephen wilson uh remixed the album yeah and the way he's remixed it it's so luscious Mm. so like i don't know rich and luxurious and he's like really brought up the background sounds it's a i've really loved that some people prefer the original Really? To Stephen Wilson's mix oh, okay. because it has more of that claustrophobia and denseness, whereas Stephen oh. Wilson has, has spaced out the sounds a yeah. lot more. But one thing I will say, I mean, yeah, I was going to talk about the Stephen Wilson remix towards the end. Well, we but... can talk about it later. I just had to drop it in because it because of what I meant with on a sensory level. Yeah. I it's There's, you know, I, I find it, I'm finding it hard to... to describe it and talk about it it's an experiential album it's an experiential on a sensory level it's absolutely hard to match yeah i agree but on an emotionally connective level aside from about four songs Mm. aside from four songs i found it hard to connect those four songs though kind of made it all worthwhile for me well, let's look, before we go into our opinions more on what those four songs might be. Yeah. Should we talk about the background of the yes, album and please. how it came to be? please. It's probably important to be aware at this point that EMI were getting a little bit restless with Marillion, shall we say. Holidays in Eden hadn't done brilliantly. They hadn't had a proper hit single. Well, I suppose Sympathy went to number 16, but it wasn't really a smash. Mm. But they hadn't had a hit for a long time. The albums would go into the charts, drop out. Um, So EMI... um, came to the band they had a new A&R man called Nick Manda and said that the band needed to get back to basics and make a surefire hit album 
they needed a cheap and cheerful stopgap. Oh, God. <laughs> That's what Brave was meant to be. Yeah. So uh, Nick Mander, this is according to H, had said, I promised the boys upstairs there's not going to be any of this long, sprawling, big budget, contemplating your navel for six months stuff. We're going to get in a producer who is much more indie and down with the kids and we're going to make a fast, raw, rough album. Um, okay. And apparently uh, H was well up for for that because yeah. he likes to work fast and the rest of the band attitude was like oh um that's opposite (laughs) to how we prefer to function so already that i mean they'd already been working on some music Mm. um and they had four or five songs in various stages of completion and h had some snatches of lyrics some of which were here some of which were john helmer's and he was looking at all what they'd assembled so far and he was reminded of a radio story, a news story that he'd heard about about seven years before mm-hmm. in the late 80s when he was working down in the Bristol area. It was a story about a girl who had been found wandering on the Severn Bridge that connects England to Wales. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, one of the working titles for the album was Seven. But also it was their seventh album. Oh, <laughs> so, very clever. The girl was apparently so traumatised and confused she wouldn't talk to them. And she was taken into police custody. She still wouldn't say who she was or where she came from or how she ended up on the bridge. Um, And so the police put out this appeal on the news saying if anyone knows who this might be, could they please contact us? And H wrote it down in his diary thinking that one day he might write a song about this girl and he went back to the band with the pieces of music they already had such as such as living with a big lie i think was one of them i think runaway was another which was a john helmer lyric and he said look what if we tell a fictional story of this girl's life and h's idea was they'd start with her on the bridge then the, the story would jump back to her birth then would go into her inner mind and her her inner processes with her explaining everything that she didn't say to the police about how she'd got there. Right. To that point okay. where she was standing on a bridge. Yeah. About to take her own life. Right. And H describes the story, and I found a, uh, an interview with him in, from 94, where he describes it as a story about a young girl who'd been sexually abused by her father. And H, at the time, apparently had, in his words, become amazed by the massive increase in cases of sexual abuse across Europe and felt that somebody should address it and say that it's not taboo and you can talk about these things by way of a, a show of sympathy. So he saw this girl as having... Uh, and bear in mind, this wasn't the story of the actual girl. This was H extrapolating from yeah. that news story. So this girl had grown up in a house where she'd been suffocated by this, this experience of abuse... Uh, with her parents who were trying to deny it was happening. Mm -hmm. Her mother cleaning the house frantically and tidying up as a reaction to that guilt Mm -hmm. in the sense that if we keep the house clean, then we're respectable. So I think there's a lot of... Keep our conscience clean. Yeah, and it doesn't matter what we do when no one's looking. Um, But then he said he's also dealt with themes of of the hypocrisy of people who who go to church because they want to be seen as pious, like politicians, but also that... 
going to church and religion could be used as a symbol of prestige and class. Now, I'd never really picked up on these religious overtones or undertones in the album, I have to say. Oh, so I, this... I did find it in one of the songs. Well, I've always thought the title track sounded kind of almost, you know, it's like a, it's got that organ and sounded almost like a funeral song or, or, or something like that. But But he says that some people go to church to be seen. I mean, he said he wasn't knocking religion and says that if it makes you a better person, then that's great. But he was trying to point out how religion, sex, power and money can be abused Ah. and used to hurt people. Hmm. Okay. So that's the story. Interesting. So I think, think because you, I know, have been struggling with knowing that this concept album, you've been struggling slightly with the story. I've been trying to piece it together linearly. And I and as I I mean I'm and I've been saying proud to you, of myself because like a lot of that I didn't get it exactly I didn't piece it together exactly like that and I have been trying to and I've got this fantasy in my head of a linear story which I'm going to stick to just for myself for my own entertainment. But I don't. But that's what I've been trying to say to you. It's, I don't think it is a linear narrative. No, it's it does not. that thing in no, the way that Miss Place Child did. It starts at the end. Yeah. Or at least towards the end. Yeah. Um and. Uh, and then jumps around through showing you snapshots of the different stages that led her to the bridge. Yeah. Now, what I will say, I don't think it is conceptually perfect, this album, because I think there were at least mo- there were moments on there where even now, having spent quite a while looking into the album and trying to dig up as many interviews with the band about the album, H particularly... There are there are songs on there where I just kind of go, huh? How does that fit? And probably not uncoincidentally that some of them I don't think fit musically either, for that matter. Oh, I um, know which ones. Are you, do you want to say yet, or you want to wait? No, we'll wait until we get to them. Okay. Because if we're going to go through the the narrative such as it is, yeah, then I think yeah, well let's let's kind of ask those questions when we get to those songs. Hmm. I mean, I'm kind of wishing that I knew the story before I'd heard the album because I put so much energy into trying to understand the story through the music and through the lyrics that it would have just made my life so much easier to know, yeah, this is the story. The thing is, I'm surprised because I thought you knew that it was about a girl found wandering on a bridge. Yeah, but I didn't know the background to it mm. or the other stuff. Um, but it's fine. It's fine. I mean, at a place now where it's like, yeah, it's... I've. I feel that I've pieced it together enough. But you telling the story is like, oh, I just feel a sense of relief and a weight lifted. It's like, okay, good. That's all That's all sorted now. That's <laughs> very odd. I don't know. It took so much energy trying to piece it together. Hmm. And there were still gaps because I, I guess my brain wanted it to all be Linear. in a neat line and it's not. Uh, for me, I... Th- you know, even though I've kind of said, even though I've said some of the songs don't fit in that that narrative as far as I see them. Mm. At the same time, if someone is is disturbed or upset mentally or emotionally, then they're not necessarily thinking in a linear way. No, anyway. Yeah, absolutely not. So, I think that's interesting in and of itself. Yeah, that you have found gaps in there and, and struggled to make sense of it. Yeah. I think... I've, I've struggled to make sense, like, because going through it kind of linearly, I struggled to make sense of the, like, the placement of 
one or two of the songs, maybe one in particular. Mm. But that's fine. I'm okay with it now. I'm okay with it now going, okay, it's not linear, don't worry. Good. But I still want to tell you at some point when we get to it, I still want to tell you my little imagined I would like that story. When we get to Yeah. When we get to talking about the album some more. Well, we are talking about the album now, but the songs <laughs> individually. Yeah. Yeah, we're not about to kind of go off and talk about D Ream or something like that. Imagine a D-Ream po- podcast. I don't know who D- D-Ream is. Things can only get better. Oh, that was who yeah. Brian Cox was on keyboards with it. What? No way. Yeah. Not the actor Brian Cox. Professor Brian Cox. If you're not in the UK, um, Professor Brian Cox... Or, why, Does he, he work for CERN? I don't know. He works on the telly now for the BBC. He's basically this really handsome, cool scientist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I make science cool. He's, he is. He's kind of the cool scientist, isn't he? Because he? he's got kind of, you know, cool hair. I don't know that much about him. Mm. He was in an episode of Danny's Castle. Danny's House. Was he? Yeah. Oh, cool. I, I, I wrote him in and they asked and he said yes. <gasps> <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Where he was showing off a large dugong collider. What's that? Well, you know, the Large Hadron Collider. Uh, no. Well, this, that's what they do at CERN in Switzerland. They collide particles together to create oh, miniature wow. big bangs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in this episode, there was a large dugong collider that smashed two dugongs together oh and to create sea cheese. Oh. <laughs> it was an episode of a kid's Write show. Write an album about that. Yeah. Sea cheese, and he had him going, mm, sea cheese, yummy, 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 yummy. <laughs> I need to see this now. See if I can find it. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> delicious sea cheese. <laughs> That's so bizarre. Yeah, I've thrown myself now. Yeah, we're not going to talk about D Ream, so then we're instead we talk start about smashing dugongs together to create sea cheese. <laughs> Look. If we don't lighten this this episode up in places, uh, yeah, no, I was just about to say we're doomed. <laughs> just, I was just about to say we need to break up the heaviness of Brave. So, released seventh of February, nineteen ninety four. Oh, seven again. There you go. Very. Oh, uh, they know what they're doing. Um, it was partially recorded at the Chateau de Marouat in France. You. That's what Marowat is. Oh yeah, I was Marowat googling jam. it, and it's like, oh, it's a type of bird. <laughs> <laughs> it's like bird boy. jam. Okay then. Uh, bird jam from the makers of sea cheese. Ah, <laughs> 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 um, oh, now it all makes sense. That's where, even though they'd, they'd pieced together a, a number of <clears throat> bits of music and already started working on the album prior to decamping to France because mm. they've got their studio racket club by this point. Yeah. They, partly due to the choice of producer and partly, I guess, they had a tennis court there and swimming pools and so on. They didn't get a lot done. <laughs> what a surprise. And the obsessive nature of the recording, you know, they would do stuff like go out at like 6am at the crack of dawn to record water dripping in a cave and oh, stuff wow. like that. Um, that is dedication. 
so they had to finish it off when they kind of came back to the UK of Pearl Street Studios. Paul, now, sorry to interrupt. Well, we really missed a trick. We should have gone to a chateau to record this episode of the podcast. Yeah, if, weird, weirdly, I was looking up Chateau Marouat this morning but for, in terms of hiring it because you can you can hire it out wouldn't that like have been Airbnb. awesome yeah i mean it probably cost about 10 grand for like a weekend but yeah if anyone That's would like fine. to crowdfund us doing an episode from chateau marouat <laughs> i'd love to be able to do yeah. that so it was it was owned by miles copeland who was the brother of the police's Stuart copeland uh and also later sting and the police's manager um but the the choice of producer was a guy called Dave Megan. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the first Meridian album that he worked on. He'd also been an engineer on Fugazi and also U2's The Joshua Tree. But he would go on to produce, after the at least artistic success of Brave, he would go on to produce a further three Meridian albums. Oh. Dave Megan became a Big fixture fixture in Meridian history. What were the other albums that he produced? After this, he, he stayed on for Afraid of Sunlight. Mm-hmm. Then he did Anarachnophobia and Marbles. Mm. Mm. Oh, I should just say, before I move on to the rest of the recording stuff, there were two singles released in the UK, The Hollow Man, which got to number 30, and Alone Again in the Lap of Luxury, which got to number 53. Um, the Great Escape was released in the Netherlands, and it got to number 38, so not a singles album shall we say yeah well i mean no surprises there yeah <laughs> although made again would might be a well they released single. it as a single last year yeah didn't they? For, and for it lockdown. works it, well made <laughs> again yeah let's let's talk we'll about wait. that when okay, we get to yeah. it let's wait let's let's talk let's about exercise the patience so after setting up in, in marowat they basically turned the castle into a recording studio. So they had wires and cables throughout the entire place. And the control room was the master bedroom where apparently Queen, uh, Queen Mother had once stayed. Mm. Um, uh, but the band, after a few months of jamming, where Dave Megan would kind of go, oh, uh, he would queue up uh, a bit of music that they'd done, I don't know, you know, three months ago and kind of go, oh, try putting this on it. Uh, try and putting this with it. And he would he apparently had like this encyclopedic knowledge of everything they're jammed wow. and was sort of piecing it together. Right. Very sort of meticulously. So Dave Megan himself said that he used to spend weekends at Marowat locked away in his control room, editing out the various different takes of the week's work into the final masters or else refining the album running order, trying new crossfades. However, the band was starting to get a bit concerned, as were the record company was starting to lose the plot. Because he was being all meticulous and the record company had said, come on, guys, yeah, knock out a quick it, one. It, and it was costing a lot of money. They'd hired a castle for pity's sake oh, after God. being told to do a cheap album. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I love that. So, I love that. Thank you, Marillion, for existing. So they went to Dave one day and said, Dave, um, we're a bit worried about how long it's taking. Sorry, just let me enjoy that a bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we've got to do this as cheaply as possible. What should it be our first step? I know. Let's hire a castle. Anyway, so they went to Dave and they said, um, "They said, look, we're a bit, we're a bit worried. Dave <laughs> seems to be taking rather a long time to make this album because I think they got there and they'd." 
even the, yeah, they'd had stuff like Runaway and mm-hmm. I think Living with the Big Lie mm-hmm. before getting there. And when they got there, they pieced together um, parts of uh, Goodbye to All That out of various jams. Steve Hogarth wrote the title track in his bedroom. Oh, really? Yeah. They were they were kind of absorbing the atmosphere as much as anything, but it, they were still a long way from being finished. So they said to Dave, they said, um, you know, as I keep repeating, we're a bit worried. And apparently Dave Megan said back to them, he said, well, the way I see it, we could either make a record or we can make a masterpiece. What's it going to be? And the band all went, ah, masterpiece. <laughs> So I just carried on. Brilliant. Oh, I love it. (laughs) And to hell with the record company. So did they stay with the record company or did they leave them? Let's just say this was the beginning of the end. Big time. (laughs) Yeah, they were at Marowat for six weeks. According to one quote, all that was finished were the drums. Oh my God. And some water sounds they recorded in a cave. (laughs) Castle for six weeks. <laughs> so, because Ian mostly lived in America well, at the at time. At least the drums were done. Yeah, well, Ian lived. That's a big li- part. Yeah, so he'd the... come over and do the, the lay down the drum tracks and then yeah. bugger off back to America. Oh, he didn't um, want to stay in the castle. No, he stayed for a while. So, I mean, you know, an example of of how this album was approached differently. Apparently, I mean, Rother said after it came out, he said on some of their earlier albums, they'd, they'd always held back on having more than two guitar parts per song. But on Brave, in some places, there are eight or nine guitar parts. Wow. On top of that, various kids of the band are on there. as, as children's voices in the background. Um, ah. They went and recorded a real tube train, coin being dropped, all these little sort of sound effects and stuff. Yeah. They weren't just taken off of BBC Sound Effects library albums. They were... They were created from scratch and all of that, aside from the music. That's amazing. Time. Yeah. And you can hear it in there. Mm. You can hear the care and attention to detail that's been put into the music. Yeah. So they came back they came back from France after this very intense six weeks where they got very little done. Um and I think I think the record label or at least certain people in, on the record label were ready to drop them there and then no. and boot them off. However, the head of the label had their back and he gave the band the money that they needed and the time to finish the album. So they went to Pass Street in Liverpool to finish it off, which is, it's become the big legend of this album that that it was recorded at a chateau in France. But the reality is that a lot of it was also recorded at the Racket Club, which is basically a port cabin and you know in past three studios in liverpool but the the atmosphere i think all the bands seem to agree that it was it was captured at marowat that was that was what really influenced it you know this this proper castle surrounded by medieval art and ornate fittings and spires and turrets and things Mark Kelly has since described it as the hardest Marillion album there is. He said, we set out to do something we can't, 
without compromises, Brave was the result. However, it didn't do very well at all. So, Holidays in Eden has sold roughly 300,000 copies. Mm-hmm. Which, remember, that was going to be the album that would all break them into America and, you know, make them a hit singles band, blah, blah, blah. However, sales halved. Brave sold about 150,000 copies. What? It got to, I think, number nine and then just disappeared. Um, wow. So it managed to go top ten based upon first week sales, but it, it just didn't have a life after that. It, it just dropped off. And even though they had produced an album in the kind of genre that a lot of the fans had wanted, when instead they put out Holidays in Eden, the sales continued to go down after Brave. Why do you think that is? Well, it's interesting you should say that. So Mark Kelly's got a couple of theories. One of those is that they'd stopped having hit singles. There weren't any hits off of Brave because, frankly, there weren't really any obvious singles on there. Mm. In fact, the only one that I think is an obvious thing is the one that you identified, which is Made Again, uh, which is a lovely song and very different to the atmosphere of the rest of the album. But he also puts it down to the marketing. The album wasn't massively supported, despite the fact that the head of the label you know, had the band's back. Uh, but they also, they did a um, they did a big launch party at the London Planetarium. Mm. which was an anonymous launch party. They'd invited what? pretty much all the, the music media down to the London Planetarium without telling them what the album was or who it was by. And Is, Was that a common thing to happen in those no. days? Because I think the, the, the label, I guess, figured, well, Marillion are fighting against preconceptions of who they are. So as Mark said... They basically tried to make people believe it was a new Pink Floyd album, which was a huge mistake. They thought if, if they did that, then more people would come along to the playback. But of course, people came along and went, what the fuck's this? <laughs> this isn't Pink Floyd. <laughs> and I think there was backlash as a result. And I remember reading an interview, in, oh, sorry, the review in Q magazine, which which laid into it. And I think what, did, what were the criticisms? I can't remember specifically. I did try to find some some reviews from the time, um, but I can only find more sort of recent reviews of like sort of reissues and things. If I remember, there was a bit of backlash against a press release that went out with it. Now, I've got a bit of history with Meridian press releases myself, uh, having written one, having been asked to write one, and one which itself got a lot of backlash from the fans oh no that's a story that we'll come to when we get to somewhere else um well i don't know you know we save the story save the story anyway uh and i think the 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 press release sort of made a big deal of of kind of trying to describe the album as a modern album name-checking bands like The Orb, who were an electronic dance band, but they often name-check Pink Floyd and stuff. And I think when you're doing that and you're asking the an industry to stack Marillion up with sort of very well-regarded contemporary acts and you're sort of almost sort of saying to them, your opinions are wrong. I don't know. It 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 sends the wrong message and can you can risk rubbing people up the wrong way rather than just letting the music stand hmm. don't know but i mean it's... are you saying that they're better when they're not compared 
with well here's the thing because m- like more what's the word contemporary or modern bands. cooler bands let's be honest you know when they're not trying to and this is something i wanted to get into in this episode before we start breaking it down track by track mm. because i found um i found a, an interview with rothers where he was asked a, a, about radiohead and particularly the album okay computer now okay computer came out in 1997 three years after brave and it was very much seen as a modern prog album but because it was radiohead who'd had hits with stuff like fake plastic trees and the ben's album it was sort of received with open arms and sort of described as groundbreaking and i think there were some within the marillion camp whose noses were put out of joint by that because it was like our album isn't a million miles away from okay computer yet ours got slated flopped and yet this album is is heralded as doing something completely new and different for sort of dabbling in a genre of music that had long been considered you know unfashionable and crap then around the time as well there started to be these rumors i remember mentioning it to the music guy at uh, teletext a guy called Stephen Eastwood still friends with him on Facebook lovely chap who came with me to see Meridian at one point which was uh, it was not his type kind of music at all but I, I remember him taking the piss out of me because I, I said to him I said oh you know you know Meridian um, you know influenced Radiohead and he just basically laughed in my face and he was like that's not true because they used to what happened at Telesex they used to get me to review the Meridian albums and interview the band members and I think I'd put in this thing about OK Computer in a review of one of their albums and he took it out and said no it isn't really? true the, the rumours stem from I mean I've only heard H say this Mm-hmm. That the, when Brave came out, Radiohead, who were on the same label as them, mm-hmm. had taken some freebie copies of Brave from the office. It was a big box of like albums, and they were like, oh, let's have this. But I've also heard another answer that it was just one of like, yeah, about 100 albums that they picked up and took. Now, this coupled with a very early photo of Radiohead when there was still a band called On a Friday, mm-hmm. when they were very young men at, at university. And in the background of that photo is a Meridian poster. Get out! Uh, a fish year Meridian poster from uh, one of their Christmas tours with the jester in a Santa costume. And also on that, that wall is, a, is an IQ poster of all bands. Another prog band, those of you who don't know who IQ are. I've heard H over the years mention this photo of Radiohead with the poster in the background of Marillion and mentioned this whole thing about how three years prior to OK Computer coming out, Radiohead had been in their record company's offices and picked up some copies of Brave. However, that photo of the band with the Marillion poster in the background and the IQ poster in the background, it was it was taken in a mate's bedroom. It wasn't in, like, kind of Tom York's bedroom. It wasn't a Tom York-owned Marillion poster. The poster was in the bedroom of a guy called Nigel Powell, who, who was a drummer that was part of the Oxford music scene at the time. So how true it is, who knows? Because Radiohead have certainly never said, yeah, we're big Marillion fans. Someone needs to ask them. Yeah. There is one way to settle this. Someone needs to get on the phone or get on the email with Radiohead and, and clarify. 
Yeah, I suspect Radiohead would go, what? <laughs> you never know. <laughs> that said, I was listening to, off the back of it, I was listening to OK Computer this morning. Yeah. And yeah, it's not a million miles away from some of the stuff on Brave and not a million miles away from some of the stuff on Afraid of Sunlight or some of the later albums which came after OK Computer. Mm. You know, something like Karma Police. I could hear Marillion doing. I'm going to have to listen to it now. Yeah. Uh, Paranoid Android, which is a, you know, it's shorter than some Marillion songs, but it's still a prog epic that goes through different movements. A song like No Surprises could easily be a Marillion song. Fake Plastic Trees, Marillion have even covered because it sounds so Marillion-y. someone's got to ask them someone has to ask them but I don't believe for a second Radiohead have been influenced by Marillion you don't I don't think so no not even in a tiny way like look they listened to the album and went this is really cool I want to do that's not a tiny way is it that's a huge way well here's the thing if they did right Radiohead have never said that now, what are the reasons why Radiohead wouldn't pay tribute to their influences, given that they've mentioned many other influences? That you know, Radiohead very influenced by Jeff Buckley, for instance, clearly. But it comes back to the thing that Marillion. I was trying to think about this this morning. It was one of the things I wanted to talk about this week. Was was why with an album like Brave couldn't Meridian get a fair hearing by the music press? Mm. Why were they so... Why have they always struggled so hard to be taken seriously and treated like legitimate artists? Mm. And I think you can look at it in a historical context and kind of go, well, Fish is certainly seen as a bit of a joke because he used to paint his face. Yeah, Meridian is certainly an aberration in that they've continued past that point with you know 14 albums after their most iconic at least in the the broader public perception sense goes that they've continued past that point with 14 albums and not only that but dramatically reinvented themselves you know they didn't change their name they carried on as Marillion so the all the stigma that's attached to that that name that brand has has carried with them but I also think they've only got themselves to blame on, on us to a certain degree because you know you look at the, the three albums they've put out here in the space of you know in the space of three albums since H took over right Seasons End sounded a bit like Old Marillion ish then you go to a poppy album to something really dark there's a real identity crisis going on there so you you think the lack of cohesion between the three H albums at this point mm. is what played against them. I do, well, even yeah. in the even with the music media, who you think would be a bit more open minded to variations in sound. Look, there's nothing wrong with a band varying the sound. I mean, you yeah. look at what the Beatles put out and the, their very short lifespan that the Beatles existed as as a recording entity. I want to hold your hand versus Hey Jude, completely different. Yeah. So why would, but, why would they have been against Marillion doing it? For me, well, they just were. I mean, you know, regardless of... Uh, but I think you also had to deal, deal with what was going on with the fans. So I think not only did you have the music press just not wanting to give them a chance, considering Marillion a bit of a joke, 
but I think you also have to deal with a fan base that broadly, and I'm not talking about me necessarily here, I'm talking in a broad sense, a fan base that was that was reeling from very, very abrupt and acute changes in style. The leap from Holidays in Eden to Brave was way more jarring than the leap from Season's End to Holidays in Eden. On top of that, you also get songs like No One Can, right, which... I like it. It's a cute pop song. But by God, it's cheesy. And it it sends out a message that this isn't a band who have a kind of artistic intent, the kind of artistic intent that would produce an album like Brave. No One Can is a bit of fluff and a bit of froth. And it's a throwaway pop song. And, And to then go from that to something like Goodbye to All That or The Hollow Man or The Great Escape, and expect people to keep a handle on who this band are is a big ask. Hmm. I I get that from the fans' point of view, why how that can be challenging. But I don't understand why the music media wouldn't have embraced it. I just I guess what I'm wondering is when they heard Brave, what was their issue with it? For me, with the media, they just it... <laughs> And I'm speaking to someone who was an ex-journalist. It's really easy to just take the piss. And it's it's really easy to knock something. And because, particularly with a band like Marillion, who aren't the biggest band in the world, who are already misunderstood by a lot of people, who are already seen as a band that write either A, a cheesy heavy metal band, or B, a band that writes songs about goblins. You know, and Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. It's easy to just score points by not. Yeah, why would why why give it why give it the time of day? Why why put the effort into an album like Brave because you know it can't be any good because it's Marillion. Mm. And it I can't suppose, possibly yeah, be any good. I suppose it is an album that does require a commitment. It does require effort. And I don't believe any of these reviewers who slated the album at the time listened to it more than once. Which you you kind of need to. Yeah. And which I bet you they would do if it was a new, well, a new Pink Floyd album or a new Radiohead album. Or Radiohead. They would listen to it more than once if it was a new Radiohead album. They wouldn't kind of... So do you think the fact that the the album prior, Holidays in Eden, was a bit fluffier, put them off? Like, made them take Marillion less seriously? I don't think it helped. I think... I think they had a Meridian had, and they still do these days to this to, to a certain extent. They had an enormous image problem, enormous, because their their image had been defined by Fish and a guy who wore face paint and funny costumes, only to be replaced by a guy who looked like a pop star, a boy band member. And it's in, it's telling that around the time of um, Brave. H, his hair is a lot longer. In interviews, he's unshaven. He he looks like he's trying to sort of sand down the edges of that that shiny pop star thing a little bit. Mm. Um, Roughen and be, up the prettiness. Yeah, and be bit. taken a bit more seriously as a, as an artist. I don't know. I wish I knew. I wish I knew in the in the bigger sense why it is that Marillion have so struggled. But I don't think it's any one thing that mm. that's easy to categorise. Maybe. But, it, yeah, it's just a collection of little things but on top of that something i will say and i will say this is a criticism of brave and it's an issue that 
that the band will continue to have going forwards. And it's particularly an issue when it comes to albums produced by Dave Megan. And that's a controversial thing to say because he is arguably one of the two or three best producers they've ever had and certainly responsible for for at least three of the best albums they've ever done, including this one. Um, but they have a real problem when it comes to putting quality over quantity. And I say this as a fan. I think Brave would have worked better as a shorter album. Mm. Oh, yep. And I what agree. you're asking to people to do non-fans I don't know exactly which songs I'd well yeah yeah we can well I think it could have been phenomenal phenomenal as a shorter album if this was 45 minutes in the same way that Misplaced Childhood was yes then you're not asking someone who's a non-fan a music journalist to try and digest 73 minutes of music by a band that he has already formed an opinion about because Marillion come with so much baggage. A band that he has all these preconceptions of, that he's going to look at that, or she, is going to look at that and go, oh, for God's sakes, I've got better things to do than give up 73 minutes of my life listening to a Marillion album. I do think there are at least two or three songs on this album that the album would be stronger without. And it's the thing for me that brings this album down and stops it being a masterpiece. And I'll say it now, I love Brave, but I don't think it's a masterpiece because there is some music on there that I don't think it belongs musically, thematically, or or, or to the benefit of the album. And taking it off would have... And I'm going to say them now, Paper Lies, what the hell is it doing on there? Why is Paper Lies on that album? You know, what, how does that even fit into the story for a start? It's a song about news, you know, newspapers. It fit into my made-up story, which I only got to the bit how Paper Lies might fit into it yesterday. I was like, <laughs> oh, that's how Paper Lies maybe fits in. And then started piecing in single lines from Great Escape and stuff going, yeah, yeah, now it all makes sense. And now I'm like, yeah, it probably doesn't. I will say that this week, for the first time in nearly 30 years... I kind of got it as a piece of music because it sounds like The Who. I hadn't realised until this week, listening to the Stephen Wilson version of it, how much it sounds like The Who. And I kind of went, oh, okay, they're doing Quadrophenia. I get it. But I still don't think it fits on the album. And on top of that, Alone Again in the Lap of Luxury, which was a single, I don't hate Alone Again in the Lap of Luxury at all. I think it's fine. But it feels like it's come from another album. Uh, Mm. So I'd have got rid of those two. I would have got rid of those two plus hard as love. Now and and wait, okay, wait. Before I say this, before I say this, I don't hate any of them. I don't. I don't dislike. I don't. They're not steamers. Okay, I appreciate them. My suggestion might be like, what maybe could have been an interesting idea was release two albums. One which services the story with all of those songs included. So like the actual album that we received and then another one with those three cut out and see what's left. <laughs> Just put them as B-sides. But, but put them as B-sides. Kind of, the thing is they do kind of work. Alone and again the, in the lap of luxury the sound, does. The rhythm of, of the songs put together does kind of work. So well, I, I think Harder Love... Maybe cutting, cutting them out wouldn't work. Hard as Love, I think, it kind of deserves its place on there. I don't know. You need you you do need places in there where there, there's a bit of kick. 
Yeah, no, I know. And that's um, why I'm saying, like, rhythmically, all of those songs do fit. They are put together... They are put together in a way that works. I just... I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> um, but anyway, they could have made a more concise album that had more impact. Yeah. But not only that, Punchier. that had a better chance of people giving it... Uh, giving, you know, giving it the attention it deserved. Um and I think that's one of the reasons why so many people struggle with this album. And they do. As many people who love it have kind of contacted us to sort of say how they don't like it or that it's never clicked for them, you know, and how it took me years. And one of the reasons why it finally clicked with me was because I stopped playing Paper Lies. So what, when you listen to the album, you skip Paper Lies? Yeah, I generally do. Really? Apart from for the, the purposes of this exercise. Oh. So I would have gone from Now Wash Your Hands straight to Brave. Which would have worked, I think. Yeah, I mean, I have to admit, appro- approaching this album for the first time, I was worried because it, it felt like approaching a mountain that I had to climb without any kind of equipment. And I wasn't sure I was going to listen to it all in one go. But then when I started listening to it, I was like, oh, it's actually, it's all right. And I, and I did manage it. But then, and this, this ties in with what you were saying before about maybe the media or whatever, not wanting to put in, like just kind of brushing it off. Because then when I came back to it, I came back to it with the headphones and really sitting down and listening to it. And I was blown away. Mm. I was absolutely blown away at the artistry. And and I kind of understood why people would have that passion for it and that love for it. I, I totally get get it. And because I do love it, as I said earlier, I probably admire it more than I love it. Yeah, I think, yeah. But I love it for the bits I love, whereas I still maintain that a shorter version of Brave would have more impact. And yeah. and even though, I mean, you look at Marbles, that's a double album. It's longer than Brave. But what you've got on there is very much more of a a mix of, of tones and a mix of, then it's not a concept album, so it's not joined together. What you've got, got with Brave, even on the songs that are sort of slightly more upbeat, and even though you've got songs that sound very different, you're expected to sit with that heavy funeral-like atmosphere for 73 minutes. And that is a lot. Whereas Marbles, I can just listen to the whole of that and it's all right. Um, But Brave, I I just rarely go back to it these days because apart from... You know, I will cherry pick the songs these days, but I really go back to it as a whole just because it's it feels mm. like a commitment. Yeah. But I've got to be in the right mood. Yeah. I imagine myself going forwards. It would be rare the occasion that I'd want to listen to the whole thing. Mm. There are certain songs that I'm happy to listen to whenever, and there are other songs that I'd only ever listen to them if I was listening to the whole album. Yeah. But that said, I think within this album, it's not an album that I would 
give to anyone and sort of say, here you go, here's your first Marillion album. No. No freaking way. No freaking way. It's one that you've got to be, you've got to be some way down the road before you kind of, yeah. you know, go there. But I also think that within it, even though we're sort of talking about it as one long piece, I think there, there are at least three songs in there that I think are among their all-time greatest songs they've ever written. Same. Uh, you know, Great Escape for one. Yeah. Made Again, I think, is as well. Oh, I just love it. And the placement of it after Great Escape is is perfect. Yeah. And I also think the title track is. Uh, and, you know, those three which come at the Wait, end of the Wait, what three album, did you say? The Great Escape. Yeah. Made Again. Yeah. And the title track. Really? You didn't put Hollow Man in there? I love Hollow Man. So yeah. That'll be four. I didn't say I think it was one of their greatest songs. Really? But I love it. Oh, okay. I, I, I love that, that 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 trio of songs at the end. Yeah. And it, they're all very different from one another. And If we're going to be naming songs at this point, I, I have to agree and say it was the the second half of the album. Which includes or at Paper least the, Lies. No, well, <laughs> no, I have to say second half because for me, Hollow Man is is one of the four songs. Hollow Man and then the last three songs... Mm were just so exceptional that... They're sublime, aren't they? All, all four of those songs, you're right. so good. But, I mean, I also think Bridge, Living With The Big Light, I Love Runaway. I, I, appreci- I think... I appreciate those songs. Goodbye To All That, I think, is is I love how ambient it kind yeah. of is and atmospheric. But, but those songs, for me, what... <laughs> they stand on a different level to anything on the previous two albums. The best of this album is just on a different plateau. To, to Even though I love something like Waiting to Happen and I love, I don't know, King of Sunset Town and After Me, there's a level of craft and songwriting and performance with the best of this album, with the best of Brave, that suddenly... I'm kind of going, shit, Marillion can do that? Marillion can be that good at that level? And I think that's why Brave stands out amongst all their other albums in a lot of ways, because it's the point at which, and why it's so unfair that the media didn't give them a chance and why it's kind of unfair that a lot of fans just went, oh God, what's all that? Because they're operating at a different level here. Mm. I mean, I have to say, I appreciate Bridge and Living With A Big Light. I appreciate those songs musically, but on first listen, it's hard to... It's hard to get all the flavours in the music. It is. It's because it's a... So that's it, a good way so, of looking at it, yeah. the flavours, trying to pick out individual flavours. If I'd have just been a music journalist or whatever listening to this without a lot of investment in the band emotional investment in the band like if it was just a job I don't know I don't I, I, I might have cast the album aside just mm. on those first few songs as a lot of people I'm sure did yeah it's only listening to them a bit more deeply and and more times yeah they're not bad songs they're amazing but they do require digging to get to the mm. treasure well, should we leave it there this week? Because yeah. I feel I do feel uh, thrown 
off. It feels feels like, at least at this point, the episode's been a bit of a scattershot ramble for me. Um, yeah, I mean, hope our listeners... <laughs> Has anyone stayed with us till the end? Well, Hello to rather, you if you're there. It's rather like Brave, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yeah. If they're, if they're on board already, they'll stay. Um, yeah, so thanks for sticking with it. What we're going to do next week, I think we're going to start going through the tracks individually, talk about what where the tracks come in, in the narrative and the stories behind them, because some of them do have stories behind them. Ah. Um, yeah, some of them quite surprising. Uh, and and we'll go, go through them for however long that takes, and then we'll sort of talk about the live show, because I think that the Marillion did a kind of theatrical live show for it that, that I think is a big part of why this album is so highly regarded. Because for the first time a, in a while, a Marillion frontman wore face paint on stage and acted stuff out and tore up plants. What? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know any of this. Well, you've seen it live, dear. I don't know how you don't remember. I probably couldn't see the stage. Oh, okay, yeah, probably. <laughs> Usually at gigs, all I can see is people's backs and heads and occasional glimpses. You of just stand on my shoulders. Eight to keep to. Stand on your shoulders. Yeah. Do you want to continue being able to walk? <laughs> uh, so anyway, well, we're exhausted. Yeah. Um. Thanks for listening. Uh, please give us a subscribe if you haven't go tell people about us we're going to do a post bag about Brave so if you want to give us your thoughts about the album your initial thoughts how you, you see it now you can email us uh, via bmpod at gmail.com and we'll feature as many of you as we can um, and yeah well that's it isn't it for this week we're going to go and have a lie down in the dark. <laughs> With I'm headphones not, on. No, no, I'm not listening to anything. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> Been so, so immersed in this bloody album now for weeks. On that note, we'll speak to you next week. Be safe, everyone. Yes. Bye. Thank you for listening. Bye. Love you.